It's your Tuesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Glad to have you guys back for another day, full week. Lots of good stuff coming up on this show. Kent Youngblood, who covers Gopher Women's Basketball and the links for the Star Tribune, among other things, uh, will join me in a little bit to talk about both of those teams. Interesting times for both Women's Basketball Team 2 and 10 in Big Ten play, not where they hoped they would be this season, not where they thought they would be able to imagine this season, but maybe uh, some signs of progress individually this season. Going to need to see more the rest of the way if we're going to be truly optimistic about this team's future, though, even with some good young players on the roster and the links. Um, they had a plan A and a plan B in free agency, and they're definitely on to plan B right now after missing out on a lot of the biggest names in WNBA free agency, but Kent will help us break that down in a little bit. Got some wild thoughts, bad loss for them on uh, on Monday, coming out of the NHL All-Star break, taking a page out of the Timberwolves book and losing to one of the worst teams in the league, Phoenix, 3-2, to had a 2-1 lead in the third period. Usually when you have that against a bad team, you are going to get at least a point out of it, but they give up two third period goals after uh, after getting that go-ahead goal in the third and lose 3-2. So tough one for them. Have a couple thoughts on that. And Gophers men's basketball, um, a postponement, a COVID postponement. Had to, haven't had a lot of those lately. We'll get to that at the end of the show as well. First, though, what did I miss? Vikings finally have a new defensive coordinator, and it was worth the wait. <clears throat> it was almost a three-week search since... They fired Ed Donatel almost three weeks ago, defensive coordinator, the architect of the defense this season, a 13-4 and team that clearly the, the defense was the problem. And Donatel had to go. His, his defenses had become predictable. The, the soft kind of zone that they were playing was, uh, was, not, uh, was not getting it done. He, uh, he, he, he did not do himself any favors by... You know, promising going into the playoffs, it's our time to shine, and you're going to like the way we play. And then they gave up 31 points and a bunch of yards, over 400 again to the Giants in that playoff loss. So the Vikings hire Brian Flores, um, former head coach with the Dolphins, former longtime defensive assistant, including defensive coordinator, defensive play caller with the Patriots before that has been the mastermind of a lot of different very good defenses. Interestingly enough, was a candidate, was about to get a second interview in Arizona for their head coaching job, but the Vikings swoop in and must have made him a good enough offer, and maybe he was reading the situation in Arizona, figuring he might not be the front runner there or didn't like that situation there. Maybe we'll find out more from him at some point here about how that process went down. Nonetheless, however that all transpired, Vikings get get Brian Flores. Um, you know, a guy like I said who's had a lot of success in his stops, has been a head coach before, and will play a far more aggressive defense. And that's big to me. Because like I've said a number of times, Donatel's defense just seemed like an odd fit for Kevin O'Connell's philosophy from the very beginning. Kevin O'Connell said a lot of times, on offense at least, that their philosophy was we want to be hard to play against, right? We want to make it hard, easy on us, hard on the defense, essentially. Make it so that, you know, 
you get you do a lot of different things out of the same formation be be unpredictable on offense create those mismatches create that uncertainty in those split seconds to get yourself open to get yourself that time and space you need on offense on defense it seemed like the philosophy was entirely different it was very passive it was let's hope the pass rush does what it's supposed to do with just four rushers and if it doesn't, we're in big trouble. But if it does, we'll probably be okay. And it was a lot of sitting back in those zone defenses, hoping that the pass rush got enough pressure so that the zones would work, the quarterback wouldn't have enough time to make a decision or would make a bad decision, and that would lead to a turnover. It's an okay scheme with the right personnel, but even with the right personnel, it felt like Donatel's scheme was not varied enough, that they did not do enough mixing up of coverages, mixing up of what they're trying to do. And that is one of the most heartening things that I read in Ben Gessling's story about Brian Flores is that the Brian Flores, when he was with Miami, ran one of the most kind of varied defenses, mixing of coverages. I, I love the idea of mixing up coverages. Be unpredictable. Be hard to play against. Even if you don't have the best players on the field, even if your talent is developing, even if some of it is getting older, mix it up. Make it hard for the offense to know what you are doing. Um, and that, 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 to me, is just the hallmark of any good coaching staff, of any good, uh, of, of any good philosophy of how to win. You can't do the same thing over and over again, usually, unless you just have the absolute flat-out best personnel. If you don't, or even if you do, mixing things up, trying different things against different teams, A, to either play against their strengths or weaknesses, or B, just to give them more to think about, to not give them that split-second advantage. That, to me, is valuable, valuable time. And Flores did it <clears throat> with great success with, with New England, did it with great success with Miami, took, you know, took an okay to bad Miami defense and made it much better, got them winning records in their last two seasons as the head coach there before he was you know, really unjustly fired there, uh, leading, of course, to that lawsuit that he filed a year ago alleging discrimination in the hiring process, saying a lot of these minority coaches at the NFL were getting interviews and they were just sham interviews and that white coaches were getting the jobs eventually. Um, so I, I, I like Flores. I like this hire a lot. I'm, I'm glad they were able not only to get, you know, to, to finally get somebody into this role, but to get someone who I thought should have been the front runner all along and should be able to help a team regardless of who, what what 11 line up on the field on the first snap of 2023 they are already better right now because of this now the flip side of this is you got to give Kevin O'Connell kudos on on one regard for for realizing that Ed Donatel was a problem that that was not the way they wanted to play that they're probably not necessarily going to even be in a 3-4 next season that they're going to relearn a lot of the stuff that they installed to match the personnel better give him credit for cutting bait quickly on that idea for realizing, hey, this isn't really how I want to play. It was an odd fit. Maybe I made a mistake in that hire. Maybe that was all we could do in in the in the first hiring cycle to get Ed Donatel. I'm not exactly sure what how how we characterize that, but give him some kudos for quickly realizing that that was not the direction they want to go. However, what we don't want to see is a repeat in reverse of the carousel that we saw under Mike Zimmer, right? Because that became the defining characteristic of the Mike Zimmer era was the revolving door of offensive coordinators. And again, 
some of that was because they had success. I think I think that gets overlooked sometimes in the in the cheap and easy jokes about Mike Zimmer and the offensive coordinators, but there was just not enough continuity there along the way. He started with North Turner, probably should have moved on from North Turner faster if we are being honest, those offenses in 2014, 2015 and into 2016 were not having a whole lot of success until about halfway through 2016 North Turner resigns with Mike with Mike Zimmer wanting something different. Um, then they go to, uh, Pat Shermer in 2017. Shermer gets the job with the Giants after that season. So again, there's, there's some attrition that, that, that comes from success. John DiFilippo in 2018, that's a disaster. Zimmer fires him in the, in the middle of his first season. Um, Kevin Stefanski comes in. Stefanski does a good job in 2019, gets the Cleveland head job. So again, um, the revolving door part of that is because these guys had success, now, then we got to 2020 and the Kubiak era with, with Gary Kubiak in 2020, then Clint Kubiak in 2021, and then everybody obviously was let go after 2021 when Mike Zimmer was fired. You had Wes Phillips last year, who presumably will be the guy again this year. But the point being, what you don't want to see now is the, the exact opposite happening on defense. Now, the danger, of course, is that if Flores has a really good year, turns a team that was terrible on defense, you know, one of the bottom in the league, if he turns them into one of the you know better defenses in the league in 2023, he will be a head coaching candidate again in 2023, and the Vikings could lose him after a year. That said, you know that that that's that's a risk worth taking. I would imagine, but what you what you would like to see here is some continuity. You'd like to see Kevin O'Connell finding his groove with his defense, finding what kind of defense he wants to play, hoping that that, that Brian Flores has some success here under under O'Connell so that he can eventually become a head coach even if it's after a season that you know that would be great for him not as great for the Vikings but what you hope this this becomes is some continuity some level of continuity where you're not always changing systems you're not always changing coaches because that was a major detriment to the Mike Zimmer era and if we're going to criticize Zimmer for going through offensive coordinators so frequently as he did we got to watch the same thing with Kevin O'Connell. But I do think we got to give O'Connell credit for pulling the plug, saying, you know what, that didn't work. Let's go in a different direction. Let's try this instead of that and see where it gets us. And I think Brian Flores is a great hire overall. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Let's bring in Kent Youngblood right now. Covers the Gophers women's basketball team and the Minnesota Lynx professional basketball team for the Star Tribune and Kent, I wanted to hit you up on both of those subjects as both those teams are pretty interesting right now. Go for women, obviously in season, not going the way they had hoped, but also, you know, maybe some some individual signs of progress within a season that is, you know, now two and ten in the Big Ten. And I wanted to to pick your brain on Link's free agency because it doesn't seem like that's necessarily going the way they want it to either. But let's start with the Gophers, Kent. Um, and, and first of all, welcome. How you doing? Good, thank you. Um, Gopher women lost to Illinois the other day, a competitive loss. And it kind of feels like that's been a, 
a recurring theme for the season where a lot of their, you know, their defeats, even to good teams have been competitive, whether it's been for stretches or for all the way through. And this one was tied with just a couple minutes left. How do you, I mean, aside from the fact that I don't think they thought they'd be two and 10 and nobody wants to be two and 10 in conference play at this point, how do you evaluate the arc of this season, um, especially compared to how they might've thought it would go? Well, I, I think that I knew that a team that started the season uh, with a starting lineup that had four freshmen was going to take some lumps. Um, I think in retrospect, I didn't realize just how difficult it is to be that young in a conference as good as the Big Ten is. I think the men are finding the same thing because of injuries. They're going young, and they're just you know, just going up against people who are stronger. Um, the Gophers, youngsters – have kind of hit hit walls at different times in in the uh, in the most recent game uh, at Illinois. Uh, Coach Whalen essentially had both Battle and Braun on the bench for most of the, for much of the second half and especially for the fourth quarter. Um, I think that um, I think the physical nature of a Big Ten and and you add in the fact that we're still kind of having that extra year of eligibility that COVID allowed kind of work its way through the league. There are a lot of teams that have. 22, 23-year-old kids playing for them. I mean, Iowa, for example, other than Caitlin Clark is, you know, it's all it's all 22-year-olds, you know, they're all seniors. And I think it's really hard to compete physically at, you know, day in and day out, game in and game out when you're 18. Uh, I didn't realize just how much of a challenge that would be. But uh, as far as hope, yeah, they're still skilled. Uh, I think that Ron in particular needs to get maybe a little stronger. Uh, but look, I, I think that traditionally um, the biggest jump is from freshman to sophomore. I mean, look what uh, look what Michelle is doing. I mean, she yeah. was an okay player last year, took some lumps, had hard time staying out of foul trouble. And this year, I mean, she was marvelous the other night. She had uh, she's had nine double doubles. She had as many field goals on her own as the rest of the team did combined. And you just have to hope that these young kids will get a little stronger and more developed during the offseason and come back and take that same kind of jump next year. Plus, they'll have uh, Sophie Hart there, and Nia Holloway will be back from her knee. So you'd think they'd be deeper. But uh, it's been a tough year, no question. Well, and you factor in, too. I mean, it just, you know, you, you mentioned the, the COVID year of eligibility, which helps everybody theoretically, but probably has helped other teams that weren't going through as much of a rebuild as the Gophers. And the transfer portal is just a, a completely different way of recruiting. And, you know, Gophers lost a very good player, Sarah Scalia, to the portal. And she, they just played Scalia in Indiana the other day, if I'm not mistaken. And that was, that was last week, I guess it was. But, you know, kind of a reminder of, you know, I don't think Sarah Scalia makes this a tournament team, but certainly she helps this maybe become more than a 2-10 and 10 team at this point if she was still here. And I don't know if she would be gone if not for the way the transfer portal works. I don't know if Lindsay Whalen's been able to use that as much to her advantage quite yet. Well, it's much easier to attract talent that can put you over the top if you can say, look, we're we're already a tournament team. Uh, we're an upper echelon for, in this case, a Big Ten team, and you can come and help us put over the top. You know, it's interesting the decisions that kids make. Um, there's no question that Scalia wanted to win, and she's winning I think Indiana's number two now, highest they've ever been ranked in AP Top 25 history. Uh, she's coming off the bench. She's a, a piece. She's not a leader. 
Um, I'm not sure that that she's a person who's going to play at the next level at the WNBA. She may play in Europe. So maybe winning, even if it's as a as a you know kind of a complimentary piece rather than the main piece, was worth the move. I mean, it's everybody's decision, right? Um, but here, given the skills of the class they had coming in, I think it would have set her up to be successful. Would they have won enough to get in the tournament? I don't know. Sissoko has been playing very well at USC. Yeah, that's another big um, one. But you look at the three big ones who left that really were going to play were Sissoko, Scalia, and Powell. And Powell played herself to the bench in Tennessee. Uh, Sally, Scalia started initially, but now is coming off the bench. So I'm not so sure that the grass is always greener on the other side, although Indiana clearly is winning and she'll have that experience. I guess it's just a matter of choice. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just interesting to to watch right now. Final thought on the Gophers. I mean, I think we have this conversation, not annually, not at the very beginning of Lindsey Whalen's tenure, but now that we're into year five, um, you know, you do hear more people saying, yeah, you know, when when is this thing going to look better? How much time does she get? And I think it's it's fair to let her see this, see how this class develops. But I also just kind of sense this undercurrent of, people being underwhelmed of where this program is at this point. Is that fair? Do you think at this point in year five? Yeah, I get some of that. Uh, I think there's, I think there's discontent with both programs that play Williams arena right now. Um, But both coaches, you know, have done at least made some inroads recruiting wise. Um, And Ben, for example, needs to see what that class he has coming in can do for him and with a healthy team and, Right. I think Lindsay needs to, the people need to see what Lindsay can do with this great recruiting class in year two with the addition of Sophie Hart, uh, everybody a year older. I think that, um, I think she deserves to see that through. But I mean, if, if this team is two and 10 a year from now, I think it'll be a far different field. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, let's push the links for a little while here and, you know, some, maybe some, expectations of of what they might do and, and what they had hoped to do. And a lot of those have, have not panned out so far. Can you give me just kind of a recap of free agency or, or the lack thereof at this point for them? Well, I wrote a story as free agency was kicking off that we was kind of going into this with a plan A and a plan B. A plan A was we're going to go to Europe where we're going to convince some of these top names to come here. Uh, they talked with Stuart. Right. They talked with Vandersloot. I think I think the links were on the final list of teams that they were considering, but they didn't get either of them. I think everybody kind of expected that they would both land in the same place, and in this case, it was New York. I think they were interested in Ezra Stevens, who I think went to the Sparks uh, instead. And so I think they're now into Plan B. They re-signed Dantas. I mean, if they had signed uh, another center, I don't know that they would have re-signed Dantas, but sure. they re-signed her. She's had some injury problems, but um, had her best year in the bubble when Sylvia Falls was hurt as kind of a stretch five. And they want to stretch five at that position because they want Collier to be a they want Collier to be a power forward. She thinks she's at her best in the paint, and they want to create space for her offensively to do that. And uh, that's kind of the offense that Reed kind of ran before Sylvia got here, kind of a high post center capable of passing and, and hitting shots uh, in the bubble. I think the Lynx were the third most efficient offense in the league. 
Um, so I think that there's some potential there, but there's no question that they didn't get some of the big names I think they were looking for. Any particular reason for that other than just, you know, there's bigger markets, there's teams that have won more recently, players want to go play certain places, or, um, you know, is, is you know, when you get further removed, I guess, from your last championship, even if you still have a very respected coach and GM in Cheryl Reeve, um, her new title is actually what, president is she president of basketball operations now? Is that her new title? Yes. Uh, president of basketball operations and head coach, very well respected still. Um, you know, is it harder to, I guess, is it harder for, for them to attract talent at this point just because they are not that, you know, top tier team at this moment? They, they have that history, but they don't, it's, it's a little bit more faded, uh, distant history now. I think, um, I think uh, this is my opinion, having watched the league almost 10 years now. I think that the Lynx stood out five, eight years ago because they were a professional operation operating in a league with many franchises that were not, in my opinion, run particularly well. Okay. I think the level of, I think the level of competence throughout the league in terms of front office and coaching has improved at about the rate of the talent that we see in the league improve. There's Interesting. A, there's no, there are no more franchises that are poorly run, in my opinion. Maybe one or two, and I don't want to name them. So, so everybody's kind of doing their due diligence. Everybody's managing their cap. Everybody's kind of looking to what see what they can do, and it's just a more competitive scene out there. I mean, that plus the fact that you have owners, like that guy in New York who owns them, he has big plans. He's, he's a very – big promoter. He's the guy who got into trouble last year for right sending his team on on uh on all the charters, right? Charters. Um so I so I think the competition is bigger. And I think that uh but I mean all the I mean you had John Paul Jones getting traded to New York and you have Brianna Stewart and Courtney Venderson signing there. They've never won a title. Right. You know so yeah. uh so I think it I think market has something to do with it. I think I think the WNBA is becoming more and more like the NBA in terms of market uh, players kind of creating their own super teams. Yeah, interesting. Uh, and if, if, you know, in one way you can say, well, there it's just, it's just that's the natural next step for a sure. league that is more and more getting, you know, you know, you know growing and, and, and such. So I think that has a lot to do with it. I think it's harder. You can't fleece anybody these days. You can't yeah. outsmart somebody because I think everybody's running a pretty good operation. Oh, that's interesting. A couple more thoughts for you then. I mean, is there anything left for them to what 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 else might might happen now that you know they're they they've missed out on on plan A? Are there any other plan B moves along the way that you would think they would make? I think they have the second overall pick in the draft. Yes. Um we don't know yet. Uh nudge wink. Who what eligible junior might or might not decide to come out and have an enormous impact on, on said draft. I think that the second overall pick in what could be a very good draft could be a very strong bargaining chip, either in terms of drafting somebody who can contribute right away or working a trade. Uh, I think that, but I think that as far as big splash free agency, I think we've seen that come and go in the league kind of in general and that much of it, now is going to kind of depend on what they do with that second pick. And the first pick is pretty well, that's pretty well stated for, right? Even if, uh, imagining that everything plays out, right? As it stands now, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. 
if a certain high level guard were to enter the draft, that might change. But I think yes. the I think the Lynx would be quite happy with either. Yes. I think you're right. Can you state for the record who those players are, please? Kent Youngblood. Well, I of Austin, North yes. Carolina. Thank Post. you. Yes. And we all know that Paige Beckers, yes. who's not playing this year, is old enough that she can declare early. I don't know whether she will. I have no insight into that whatsoever. I cannot claim any inside knowledge on that. But the possibility is there. Uh, so that's that's the name. And that's interesting. And they don't have to – I mean, the, the end of the season and the draft are so close together, but they don't have to declare until right after the season ends, right? That's correct. So that is uh, certainly, it's an interesting kind of way the season flows, um, the way that the college season flows right in the WNBA, much different than the NBA, because obviously the NBA, you got some months in there before potential impact. Here, you got to kind of decide how much of an impact a number two overall pick could have, and you don't even know who that might be uh, as you're prepping for your season. So that that is a lot to take in. For, well, at for this point, rate. I think that at this point, they've scouted, extensively enough that I think they have a pretty good idea. Oh, sure. They would take at number two if Aliyah Boston's gone. I don't know who that is, but I'm sure they do. I mean, everybody knows that if the draft stands it is, as it is now, that that'll be the number one pick and everybody else in the country is then they're yours for the taking. Right. Um, but it is true. I mean, they, they draft in April and they're in training camp two weeks later. Right. I don't know. I mean, any, these, there's, these no kids, other, uh, like, there's no other. There's no other sport like, that really does it like that. I mean, baseball's draft is in the middle of the season, but nobody goes straight from the draft to the majors, at least uh, anymore. So, no, and it's interesting too because if you're a, if you're in these days. I mean, even now, if you're a top one or two pick in the WNBA, you're going to play your college season. You're going to jump right into a WNBA training camp. You're going to play a season and you're likely going to go and play in Europe that fall because there's a lot of money for those well-known people. So by the time you come back to play next spring, you will have played a year and a half straight. Yeah. Well, we'll see what the Lynx end up doing. Um, I you know, can't forget that number two overall pick. That's a big deal. And that was a lottery win, much better overall uh, lottery luck than uh, their their uh, brother franchise over with the Timberwolves but uh, yeah it's interesting I think um, uh, that lottery was on the night that Maryland played South Carolina and everybody who was in the league who was scouting was at that game and um, and Cheryl was in the coach's room watching it with uh, Washington general manager uh, Tebow oh yeah they know each other pretty well, and, uh, right? They go way back, and, right. uh, and among others. And uh, and when it became clear that the Lynx had had jumped past their spot, she kind of she said she kind of jumped up and screamed, and then felt guilty because that meant that Debo had, <laughs> had to drop back. Hey, it's kind so, of a funny story. It's a league of winners and losers. Well, we'll we'll see how it shakes out for them. Kent Youngblood will be there to cover it every step of the way, as he always does. Kent, appreciate your time as usual. Take care. Yeah, thanks. Interesting stuff from Kent. You know, I went into that whole segment really focused on free agency with the Lynx and not thinking so much about the draft. But, you know, just remembering that they do have that number two overall pick and where that pick falls in the spectrum of the season and, like Kent said, how interesting it is that that pick could 
become a chance at Paige Beckers if she does decide that she wants to play in the WNBA after her junior season at UConn. All of that is very fascinating. That That's going to be a pretty significant spot to get an impact player that can help them this season. Now, where that all fits into the rest of what they're able to do right now, whether it's via trade, whether it's via kind of smaller moves in free agency, that, rema- that remains to be seen. But the fact that they do have that number two overall pick gives them a chance at a major upgrade right away, even if they didn't do exa- exactly what they wanted to do in free agency. Let us finish with the cooler couple things here. Bofer men's basketball team, COVID postponement against Illinois. That game rescheduled for a couple weeks from now was supposed to be tonight. Um, COVID hitting the Gophers pretty hard right now. It sounds like it's kind of going around a lot of different places right now. I don't want to speculate as to why, but it does kind of seem like we're a little over a year removed from that big Omicron wave, that initial Omicron wave. And I'm not a medical doctor, but I have read enough about COVID to know that about a year after COVID is about when the the kind of immunity wears off. So I wonder if that's what we're seeing right now with uh, with a lot of uh, a little bit of a, a new cycle of COVID coming through schools and now colleges, college athletics right now. We'll see how much that impacts the rest of this season for the Gophers, but hopefully everybody gets healthy and everything is good to go in just a little while here. The Wild, meanwhile... Um, on the ice did not look good on uh, on Monday. First game back after a nice long break. Should have had fresh legs. Should have been ready to go. Capitalize on a soft landing out of the break against the Coyotes, one of the worst teams in the NHL. Instead, they lose three two. Give up a lot of shots. Give up a lot of chances. The Coyotes kind of outplayed them a lot of this game. Uh, the Wild was maybe. Not fortunate, but but in a position in the third period up to one where they could have essentially stolen the game or at least gotten a point out of this game and instead could not even secure that, could not even secure a you know a tie at the end of regulation. You know, the Coyotes get two in the third period to win this game over the wild, three to two. Just a disappointing start to you know the the, the end of the the post you know the post uh, all star break. It's just you know Dean Evanson talking about penalties, uh, the unavoidable the avoidable penalties, rhythm, things like that. They just did not look like they were ready to go out of the jump. Like I said at the beginning, it was a very Timberwolves esque performance by the Wild to lose to a game like to, to lose to a team like that. And again, it's just one game. These things happen. Other teams play well sometimes, even if they're not great teams. You know the Coyotes did play pretty well. So what what are you going to do sometimes in those cases? You can't panic when you lose a game like that. But it's a you know, it's not a good sign that uh, that they've lost now four of their last six, dating back to previous to the break. If they're going to push to make the playoffs, they got to take advantage of games like that, and they just simply did not do that on uh, on Monday night. Matt Zuccarello, tough third period. Wonder if um, if he'll find his way into Dean Evison's doghouse or not. We'll find out more about that at some point as well. That'll do it for today. Good stuff coming up on Wednesday's show. Jason Gerwin, who's been on the show a few times from the streamable, give us a little bit more perspective on the Diamond Sports bankruptcy, how that impacts Bally Sports North, things of that nature as we get closer to baseball season, as we move forward in this brave new world of sports on TV. Jason does a great job writing about it and talking about it. He's been kind enough to join me a few times, and he will join me again on Wednesday show to talk more about that subject. Thanks so much for listening to me today. I'm Michael Rand. Back at it again tomorrow.